Hey everybody, I am Stephanie Goss and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, we're taking an email from the mailbag. We've got an associate doctor who fell in love with their practice as a new grad coming out and they found mentorship, support, and a lot of the things that they were looking for in a job. Now they've been out of practice a few years and they are wondering, should my circumstances here change? Should I be getting paid more? Should I be getting paid differently? Should I get things that are different now than they than I needed them to be when I first got out of school? There's a lot of shoulds in this episode, but it was really fun to dive into all the questions. Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie, where the ocean meets the sky, I'll be sailing gods. <laughs> How are you doing? I want to hear you sing that one. <laughs> mm. I've been working on my, uh, on my, impre- where the, it's, it's, anyway, it's not gravelly enough. I'm working on it. <laughs> I, um, oh, I'm good. How are I you? Was, uh, I'm good. I was in the car with Allison. Okay. And that song had been on and I it had been on and it's long it was long over. And I was thinking about it and I turned to Allison, my wife, and I said, You know who I have become a fan of, who I really didn't appreciate until recently? And she said, Who? And I said, Rod Stewart. <laughs> and she did not look at me. She just said, God, you're old. <laughs> and I I I wonder if there's a phase in every man's life when Rod Stewart just uh, takes on a different level of meaning. As like I, you know how old I am? I'm Rod Stewart fan years old. That's how old I am. I'm just like, oh man, that's wake up, Maggie. I think I've got something to say to you. Like it's like Rod, you're speaking to me in a way that I you didn't when I was in my thirties. Um, that is that is fantastic. You just completely dated yourself as middle age, and oh, I totally. love it so yeah. much. You're like, how old is Andy? Is like, I think he's getting into Rod Stewart. <laughs> oh god, that's fantastic. You know, it's so funny because not- I was listening to uh, I was listening to uh, the '90s channel on my mm-hmm. on my Sirius XM in my car. And Brian Adams came on and I had that same kind of moment where I was like, oh, I remember this. Like, and I remember my parents listening to this and thinking, God, this is so old. And I'm like, I'm like jamming along. And <laughs> it was like, maybe I've hit that stage. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I think there's faces. I'm not, you know, I am not Tony Bennett fan old. Um <laughs> I like Frank Sinatra just fine, but I could see another level that uh-huh. I will go to in the uh-huh. future. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes, like I get it. I get Frank Sinatra. I do enjoy some Frank Sinatra, but like, there's a level of fandom that I could absolutely move to. I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. You're not that old. I'm not that old. You're exactly right. Like, you know, ten years from now, ask me again. I'll turn. Uh, I'll turn to Allison in ten years and be like, you know, I never really appreciated Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. <laughs> oh, and you know what your your kids are going to say to you? Your kids are going to say, isn't that guy that was like 100 that sang with Lady Gaga? Yeah. <laughs> that's going to yeah. be that's going to be how your kids know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 
And then when they come to me on my deathbed, I'll be laying there and I'll be like, you know who they play in the hospital? Barry Manilow. And I like it. I just realized that I really like Barry Manilow. And they'll they'll cry and cry and cry. He's leaving oh, us. This, this is off to a fantastic start. We're off the rails. <laughs> we're off the rails already and we're three minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, we can we can rein this back in and get started. But, you know, I just like people to know where I am in my life. All right. So and, we are, uh, how things are going. We are Rod, yeah. we're we're at the Rod Stewart level that's where that's just so y'all know that is where we're starting this episode today and i guarantee you that there are people listening right now who are going who the hell is rod stewart mm-hmm. <laughs> because young people you yeah, and i are old people. exactly yeah <laughs> oh there's young, the there's young He's there's young the <laughs> there's young whippersnapper uh team members who are listening to this going who the hell are these two talking about i don't know a lot of name dropping people people uh, that are not remembered all right <laughs> that's where we're at today um okay i am excited about today because we have got uh we have got a pro sal conversation that i think is gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun one we got a, a mailbag letter from a young associate who uh has been in practice for a few years now since getting out of vet school and they joined uh their practice and it had all the things that they wanted in a first practice out of vet school. They had good culture, good people. They really liked the team. They liked the practice owner. Um, they had good mentorship, which was really important to them and still is. And uh, they took a, took a salary um, and uh, they felt good about that coming out of vet school, right? Because that's a good security blankets like you don't have to stress out about anything i'm just gonna make a good salary and i feel i feel good about this and now um a few years out they are thinking about the advice that they got in vet school about uh financial compensation and looking at their setup and wondering is it time that i should make the switch to pro style because it seems like i could be making more money than I am if I looked at uh, switching to that model. And so they are kind of looking at what are they doing, um, which I thought was a great first step. They looked at kind of what are they producing? What are they doing uh, now? And um, they are, you know, they're in a practice where it seems kind of cyclical with their appointments. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Sometimes they're super busy and sometimes they're not. And they're just wondering like when it is super busy, if I'm on ProSal, I get compensated for that, right? So lots of questions and just wondering like, you know, where do they go? So they went to their boss and said, you know, I would like to, um, I would like to make some more money. And they asked for a raise um, and good for them for advocating for themselves. But they uh, apparently were turned down and and the conversation was about taking more time off, uh, which, you know, they were initially excited about, but also wondering how much time should I take off? How much time is too much time to ask for? Uh, And so lots of questions about compensation and how to be uh, how to be maximizing what kind of what they are making. They're happy where they are. They love the clients, they love the team, and they recognize that they have benefits at this practice that they might not get 
other places that are non-monetary benefits, right? And at the same time, they are feeling like they are getting the short end of the stick when it comes to salary. And so they ask, should I, should I be advocating for more money at this point in my career, given, uh, given all of the things that I've shared with you guys? Yeah. I like, I like this question a lot because I think the, the asker is in a headspace that I see a whole, whole lot. And so I, I have, I have advice. I have thoughts. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, so let's start with this. There's there's two things that I want to put out at the very beginning in Headspace right here, right? Um, so so the, the two things, um, nothing matters except that uh, this is a healthy relationship and both sides are getting what they need. It doesn't, there is no right contract. There is no right way to work. Sure. There is no, this is how it has to be. All that matters is that you as an employee are in a healthy relationship and you're getting what you need and that your employers are in a healthy relationship and they're getting what they need. There's not, I should be on this or I should be on that or this is how it should be or this is how much paid time off I should have and that's too much time off and this is not enough time off. None of that matters. There is no judge or jury who's going to look at your contract and say, this is not right. If it works for you and it works for them, then you guys should just go on. Uh, like that's, and again, I just think philosophically that is really important because I see so many people who just chew their fingernails about the agreement that they have. And I'll say, does this agreement stop? Does this agreement work for you? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, does it work for the other side? And well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, good. Then I don't think that you should sit and ruminate right. over, you know, what, it, what it should be or what other people are going to think about the agreement. If it works for you and it works for them, mission accomplished, go on. And so, so that's, that's, that's the, the first place I just want to put down because a lot of people are like, is this right? And I'm like, There's, there is no right. There right. is no, no, no one's going to grade your agreement and say, ooh, you got a good agreement or you didn't get a good agreement. There's no such thing. And so the other, uh, the other thing I want to call out, and this is the second big part of Headspace for me is, boy, this email is packed full of should. Mm -hmm. I, should I be paid on pro sale? Other people are paid on pro sale. How much time should I take off? Should I, you know, should I get this perk? Should I have that perk? Should I get paid for when the place is busy? Should I, uh, you know, should I be held accountable for, you know, when the clinic is not busy? Should, 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 should. And like, there's, should is a, is a, is a dead end every time. There is right. no, there is right. no should. Um, should, should I be on pro sale? How much vacation should a vet take? Um, how should salary, how should my salary stack up to my classmates? Shouldn't I make as much as them or more than them? And again, should, should doesn't matter. And we make ourselves so miserable talking about what should be and how we should have this or we should have that. And, and it just, there is, there's no, there's no right there. And so anyway, I don't, I don't mean to criti be critical of the person writing the email. I hope it doesn't sound that way. But just in Headspace at the very beginning, the answer to my question is going to be 100% predicated on the idea that there is no right relationship. All that matters is having a good relationship that gives you what you need and gives them what they need and then going on. And then the other part is beware of the word should. Mm -hmm. And we can start to we can start to dig into those things. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's two pieces that go along with that. Right. The the first one um, that you laid down and you you say this a lot, which is, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And yep. and I think that um, culturally, uh, especially here in the States, like 
we are uh, conditioned to look at others mm-hmm. and compare like our whole lives. Uh, you know, it, it's like I, I will give an example from my own life, like as a as a young I'm not young. I'm old. We just talked about how old we are. But as a middle-aged mom. <laughs> are you into Rod Stewart yet? Not, or are you still not there? I'm still uh, not there. I'm, I'm Brian Adams uh, level. <laughs> oh, okay. You're Brian Adams old. Oh, I remember that face. Yeah, that was good. Um, <laughs> I was back um, in the day. I remember that. But, okay. you know, like as a mom uh, with, I remember vividly being a mom with toddlers and working a more than full-time job in the clinic. And I would come home and I would look at Instagram and mm-hmm. all I could think was that all of my friends who I love dearly and who also had kids my same age, like that I had known from playgroup and stuff. All I saw was like they had their houses were clean. There wasn't kids toys everywhere. There there wasn't dishes in piled in the sink. There wasn't. And all I could ever do was compare myself yeah. to them. And it wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't done. I wasn't looking at it and thinking, God, they suck. I was looking at it thinking, God, I suck. Like, yeah. why can't I keep mm-hmm. it together? Why can't I, you know, have the time and energy? And and so I think like that is just a that is just a thing, especially yeah. with social media. Um, it makes it really, really easy to compare ourselves to others. So number one, like just recognizing that that is something that we are subconsciously and and sometimes consciously conditioned um, to to do to ourselves um, is is yeah. compare. So that's well, the, oh, go ahead. I just want to jump in on this because I completely agree on the social media part, but I just want to jump in real quick. It's because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Now, I, I think there's like good things about social media and people being connected and our and our industry being much more connected. It's kind of like knowing what's going on with the neighbors, where if there's something you're struggling with and you recognize, you understand that the neighbors are also struggling, it's validating. You go, oh, sure. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of stuff with burnout and mental health that has been really good so that people don't feel like they're so alone. Sure. I also think that at some point you can know too much about the neighbors. Right. And, you know, and you can get wrapped up in what the neighbors are doing and how do we compare to the neighbors? And I think that those are two sides of the, the same coin. I don't yes. know how you could ever have social media in a way where you got all the good parts of being connected, but not the comparison parts of being connected. So anyway, yes. but I, I, I've just been thinking about this recently. The whole comparison is the thief of joy. I think social media ratcheted that up yes. for people yes. in a way that didn't used to it. Like we never, we just didn't have access to people constantly to compare ourselves to them. The neighbors went to work and we went to work and then you might see them watering their lawn later in the day. Right. But it's not now. It's like you're with them at work and you're seen inside their house and all of these things. And it's just, I don't know. I use neighbors as a metaphor for, for other vet professionals, but I think yeah. you get it. So anyway, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the first piece. And then the second piece that you talked about is the shoulds. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's worth talking about a point that I have discussed a lot with my colleagues, but also in practice, but also with um, vet students and with newer grads. And I think that there is a movement in the vet schools, which is very positive in that they are teaching the students to advocate for themselves and really talking about the different 
options for salary. And when it comes to contract negotiations and they're getting a lot of education, which is wonderful. And the way that the information is being received and I can, you know, you're, you're only, I'm, I'm not currently in vet school, so I can't, I can't judge it firsthand. The way that the information seems to be received and therefore the perception of, uh, of professionals engaging with young students who are coming out of school and trying to hire them is that they are being told what they should do. Not, not that it's being presented in like, here's all the options, but that there's a lot of advocacy for, uh, you know, a gold standard, if you will, of like, this is what a contract should look like when you get out of school. And I think that that is adding to this comparison anxiety for a lot of these young grads coming out, which is, oh, this is what they told me in school that I should ask for or yeah. that I should get. And I, you know, I've had conversations with some of them and have asked point blank, like, tell me, tell me what you learned about in school. Like, tell me what they taught you about contract negotiations and about salary and how this works in the real world. And the perception as a, as a professional interviewing these new grads is very much that they are getting from some of their professors a very um, specific view that seems to be slanted towards should, which has very strong pros and cons, right? Like, I'm really glad that they are advocating for themselves. And I'm glad that they are having conversations um, that that a lot of people didn't feel empowered to do, even just like a five-year um, or 10-year generation ago of vets, right? Like, I think about vets who went to vet school around the time that you did, and they were just like, I came out and was like, I just need this amount of money to pay my loans. And like, I'm not, I'm not really going to, you know, have in-depth conversations about what I want or what I think I should get. It was like, this is the going salary rate. As long as you're offering me that, it's great, right? And yeah. now it is a very much like a, well, in school, they told me that I should, I should get this and I should get this and I should get this. And so I think that some of that shoulding is coming from a place that has very good intentions, but has ill-advised consequences when it comes mm -hmm. to um, the 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 new grads comparing themselves to each other or comparing themselves to a standard that a professor has shared with them that they should be setting. Yeah. So so I'm gonna pause here and talk about should, and then we'll talk about ProSal specifically. We'll get into that. But but just want to pause here. I have seen people wreck so many wonderful opportunities because they get hung up on what should be mm -hmm. and how this should go. Mm -hmm. So for example, I cannot tell you, because of the weird job I have, how many people I've interacted with in the last, say, 15 years who have had opportunities that they were genuinely very excited about. And they went and they researched these opportunities and said, well, what should I get paid for this? And how should this go? And they have grabbed onto these numbers or these conditions that they went and they found. Right. And they made them deal breakers. Right. Like, I need to get this or else I'm not doing it. And for whatever reason, the other side is like, we can't do that. Right. And then the whole thing falls apart. And I'm like, man, you ended up not getting to do this thing you were excited about because you found some sort of arbitrary number uh, that you thought you should get paid or title that you should have or perk that you didn't really care about, but you thought you should 
get this. Mm -hmm. And because the other side was not able to give you this thing that you found, you were like, well, I should get that and I'm not getting that. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. And ultimately you go, great, you, you gained nothing. You went right back to where you were because you didn't get your employee parking spot that you were told you should have. Right. And right. I'm like, was that, was that really worth it? And, and again, I, I don't, I, I'll give you a, another, I'll give you another example. So, so like, I, I remember just in I was, I was working with somebody and they, uh, there was a, mar- a marketing position in their own practice mm-hmm. that was being created. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were, they worked on the floor, they were a technician, something like that. And the practice was going to have a marketing position they were going to have. It's going to be, you know, a couple hours a week or whatever. And they were just going to do marketing and things like that. And this person went and they really wanted to do it. They liked marketing. They wanted mm-hmm. to do social media. It was sure. a skill set they wanted to grow and expand. And they went and they found, like, they looked up salaries for marketing managers. And if you find salaries for marketing managers in other industries, those numbers don't line up right. with what you can expect <laughs> to get paid in vet medicine, in my experience. But this person was like, no, this is what I should get paid. Right. And ultimately, of course, the vet clinic was like, look, you know, we d- we don't we can't pay that. Right. You know, and she said, well, that's what I should get paid. And so I just can't do it if I don't if I don't get this right. because this is what I should make. And. She didn't get the position and somebody else got it and somebody else happily got a little pay bump and then got to go and do these things and learn these skills and and, and sort of, you know, shake up their job a little bit and try and try new things. And I, and I look at that and I was like, you could have gotten a, a little a little pay bump and done work that you were excited about doing and grown yourself. And maybe after you had gotten these skills, if you wanted to leave the industry and go to a different industry where that is the pay scale. Right then you could have had the opportunity, but now you you don't have that experience. And so you can't right. you can't even do that in the future um, because of what you decided you should get paid. And again, there's always a line here, right? Everything's on a spectrum. Stephanie and I are not saying, oh, you should take whatever people offer you. You know what I mean? And you should be naive about right. what your time and your energy is worth. But but I just I've just seen so many people who get who grab on to something in their mind and they don't do something that could make them really happy purely because they should get something else or they should be able to achieve something they're not achieving or they should be treated in a way they don't feel like they're being treated. And so I think that's 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 just, I've just seen that tank so many uh, opportunities that people could have been happy about if they had just said, all right, how much do I want to do this? Right. Am I happy? What would this allow me to do? Not monetarily, but just as far as my enjoyment and my mm-hmm. skills and my mm-hmm. development. Okay, great. What do I need to make here so that I don't feel taken advantage of and so my needs are met? And I have just found that that is the, such a healthy way to approach it where everybody feels good. And then if you get into it and you're like, oh man, this is way more work than I thought. I'm not being compensated where I should be. I'm going to go back and say, hey, this is way more than I thought it was. I want to talk about the compensation here based on the amount of hours and the time and blah, 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 blah. And, and you should be able to go back and have those discussions. But again, people... Oftentimes they they just kind of freak themselves out about what should be and and, and I think it's driven a lot by there's there's a lot of sort of perfectionism mm-hmm. around it of like sure. this is how I, I need to get this right right and it's it doesn't yeah it, it's and and what is right is so arbitrary anyway that's that's the should well let me let me talk about prosal for a second because that's another big part of this yeah. that people have sort of put forward yeah and again I, I don't I don't know exactly what people I think everyone probably has a slightly different approach to this. I don't, I don't know how common it is for vet schools to say, you need to make pro sale. I, I don't know. 
Um, so for people who don't know, ProSal is this way of paying generally doctors where you guarantee the doctor a base salary. And this should be a low base salary. But the idea is, hey, no matter what happens, you can expect to make this amount of money. Right. And so the basic thing is they give you a floor in what you will earn. Right. And then they track your production numbers and they pay you either the base salary or 20%, 22%, 24% of what you produce, whichever one is greater. And the idea is if things are, are slim and there's not a lot of people coming in the practice, you're still going to get paid. You're going to get paid at your base salary. So you know right. that. You can count on that. But if we're absolutely slam bonkers, you're going to, you're not going to work yourself like crazy and make this and make the salary. You're going to benefit from the extra work that you do because you're going to get paid for that extra mm-hmm. work. And mm-hmm. so that's how ProSell works. And you can see that there are benefits of it mm-hmm. because if you think that you're going to do X amount of work, and when you get there, you're actually doing two X amount of work. That's still probably very stressful. Sure. But you're going to get you're going to get compensated for that higher amount of work that you're doing. And so in that way, you don't you don't feel taken advantage of. And that's that's good. However, there are drawbacks to ProSal that I would put forward here. And and there's there's really um there's really two there's really two big ones for me. The first drawback. To, pay, to paying doctors on ProSal, for me, is an ethical concern. And um, and again, I'm not saying that ProSal is bad. However, I do think that you can make a strong argument. And I heard this argument made this week. Um, and I've, I've had this argument in my head for a long time, but I had heard it out loud from someone else mm-hmm. just this week. Mm-hmm. And it is, how do you feel about doctors that are paid on commission? Because that's what it is. Like, do you feel okay if you were a pet owner and a doctor was like, hey, you know, um, I think what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to do uh, these extra tests or we're going to do these tests. And, I, you know, I, I, here's the estimate for a dental cleaning. And I really think you should get this dental cleaning done. If you knew the doctor was taking home 22% of whatever you spent, would you feel differently about those recommendations than if you knew that the doctor was paid on salary and she doesn't really care? Whether you do it or not do it, it doesn't right. ma- it doesn't mean anything to her. She's making this recommendation because she thinks it's the right thing to do. Sure. Does that matter to you? Sure. And to me, I've always that's always bothered me a little bit. You know, just in the back of my mind. And when pet owners get mad and they say, "Well, you're just doing this for the money," the fact that there is a direct relation between this person following my recommendation and me getting paid, I don't like that. It makes their criticism feel a little bit more. Uh, defendable than it would if I got a salary. I'm like, well, I don't care what you do, lady. I'm just telling you what I think is best for your pet. Right. And so th- this was said back to me this week. I was talking to an emergency vet and he talked about uh, being paid on salary. And he said he had uh, a pet owner that flipped out and was screaming at him that he was just doing this for, for his own, you know, for the money and for sure. his own salary. And he, and he got to look at her and say, ma'am, I'm paid on a salary. I get paid exactly the same. If you say yes and I do this, right. or if you leave and I go to bed, right. I get paid the exact same. And that kind of diffused that situation for her. Sure. And I thought, man, there's there's power in that position. And well, so anyway. and I, I think we I think we have framed the discussion around it um, because because people in veterinary medicine are um, compassionate, caring people and 
they are doing it for the patients and the money conversation has never sat well for the majority of people in veterinary medicine. Although there are people in veterinary medicine who are money motivated and that is a motivator for Mm -hmm. them. But the, the vast majority of them have looked at it in the sense of how hard they work and how the volume of cases that they're seeing versus the individual, I'm going to make recommendations that I don't believe in. That has always been like the line, I think, with anybody Mm -hmm. that I have worked with. It has been like, I don't want to be the used car salesman, right? I don't ever want to make a client feel like I am upselling them for my recommendations. I want them to trust me. And I can see your point that that regardless of how we frame it, the end result is their pay is still impacted by what the owner decides. And you can't walk, you can't back away from that. Like that is the reality. And I think most people don't look at it that way because it has been framed. We have consciously or unconsciously framed it for ourselves as an industry about if I work this hard, or if I work Mm -hmm. this much harder, or I see this many patients, and honestly, for most of the veterinarians that I've worked with, the the conversation in their head has been, if I skip lunch, if I take this hour away from my kids, if I stay late and give up something for my patients, then I should benefit. And I think when you think about it, like talking this out loud, that argument is just as dangerous as the financial argument of are we upselling them to to get more money in our paychecks because you're not like I can see the truth of it there and I can see a lot of truth in the way that we have chosen to frame that conversation for ourselves as an industry in the direct impact to mental health and the way that we the burnout and the stress factor that veterinarians have because that it, veterinarians who are on ProStyle, that is absolutely the way that it is framed in a lot of their minds. And the way that they're looking at it is if I just give up being home in time for dinner with my kids, I'll see these patients. And like, they're not thinking about it. I'll see these patients and therefore I'll get paid more in the moment, right? Like that is always to be clear. Like I am, I'm not judging anybody. I have never worked with a veterinarian who in the moment is like, well, I'm going to see this case because when I get my paycheck, it's going to be bigger. It has always been about, I'm going to take care of this patient. And the reason in the very back of their mind that they say yes is because the trade-off is there financially. That's the security net at the end of the month, right? And so I think that there is something to that about how it impacts the mental health um, and the burnout rates in veterinary medicine because we've conditioned ourselves to look at it that way. Yeah, so I want to jump in here and I want to agree strongly with something you said at the beginning. Let me be clear about my position on ProSal. I am not anti-ProSal. I am I am explaining why I don't think ProSal is a perfect solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there are valid criticisms against it that I see. And so I agree with you completely, Steffi. I do not know, I don't, I like to say I don't know any, but I don't know many at all who I feel like are financially motivated yes. and using production yes. pay yes. in an unethical way. And I do think that if you do ProSal in your practice, there's a responsibility of management to watch that and manage that, which means if people are doing sleazy stuff right. to run up 
There's a, you need to manage that. Right. That is not Absolutely. that is not okay. And that's what Prius not going off the rails looks like. Now every system needs management, so that's not a deal breaker. I don't think that I completely agree that for most vets, they look at it as, hey, when I work really I, when I work really hard, at least I feel like I benefit from that. It's not right. hey, I have this ethical, I'm getting paid on commission and I'm gonna act like a sleazy salesman. I'm saying that it is def- like there one way or another, and I know that it's not how most vets act or behave. We are getting paid on commission, yeah. basically, yeah. With, with that. And I think we need to talk about what that looks like. And it's always bothered me that I wouldn't want the pet owners to know that. And if there's ever something that I look around and I'm like, I'm dealing with this person, I don't want them to know something. I, I always stop and check myself because I go, ooh, I, I don't sure. like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. like to be completely transparent. And anytime I'm, I'm embarrassed about how I get compensated, that bothers me. And so anyway, I, I think it's true. I, I think you're totally right, too. And again, I'm not trying to push on this too, too hard. Because I'm not anti-ProSal, I'm really not. But um, if you get into ProSal and you're making your bonus pay, um, you're disincentivized to take vacation. You're right. disincentivized to take your lunch break. You're disincentivized to you know to use your time off just in general. You just are. Um, because at one way, what happens is you, it's how you look at it. So you look at this and you're like, man, when you're in the clinic, you're you're earning you're earning your bonus. Well, what that means is when you're not in the clinic, you're not earning your bonus. And so it, it can flip around. And so by that by that compensation strategy, there is this certain pressure for you as the vet to be there and be seeing patients, uh, sure. and case, patients and cases. And so I, I think that that's I think that that's just true. And it kind of puts uh, an extra an extra sort of level of, of sort of stress onto, you know, Onto onto what onto what we're doing, um, and the last thing I'm going to say about ProSal is this, and I've just seen this uh, in, just in people in general. The grass is always greener on the other side, and so what happens is when I see doctors who are on salary and they're busy, they're like, ah, oh, why am I not on ProSal? Mm-hmm. Why am I not getting paid protection? Mm-hmm. But then when the clinic slows way down, if they're on pro style, they're like, ah, oh, why am I not on salary? Right. Yes. You know, like, yes. it's not my fault. This isn't coming in. Right. And this, um, there's, I think some people paint this picture that pro style is basically salary. And if you do any more work than you think is, uh, is, is warranted, then you get paid extra for that. And I'm like, mm, that's not really how it is. You know, the difference in pro-sal and salary is um, if you go pro-sal, uh, there's a chance that you are, if things get, one of the benefits of pro-sal is for the owners, if they put you on it and things slow down, you're not earning bonuses. So your salary is not as big as it would otherwise be. And that gives them some peace of mind if they're not sure that they're going to stay busy. Um, that's, sure. that's just how it works. It's not let me figure out what to pay you in salary, and then I'll just bonus you on top of that. Generally, here's, I mean, the way to really look at salary too, and then, then I'll kind of move off of this. I think salary done well is basically pro-sal on a very long cycle, which means for the most part, if I was gonna put a doctor on salary, especially a doctor who'd been there, I would look at what the doctor produced last year, yes. and that would be a pretty strong guide in what their salary for this year was going yes. to be. And you say, but any of that's the same thing. I would say, yeah, it is, but it's over a whole year. And so those day-to-day pressures yes. of, I should skip my lunch break and see this patient, that's just not there because over the course of the year, 
it doesn't, it's not, it's not the same driver as boy, every three months, you're going to get this bonus check. If you do this, it's like, it just, it takes a lot of the pressure out and spreads everything out. But again, uh, I'm sure coming out of this, people are going to be like, Andy Rourke says we should all get paid on salary. Didn't say that. Just saying I'm laying all of this down yeah. because I need to make the point here that I think there are some very good reasons that a clinic would not pay a doctor on ProSal. And it's not about taking advantage of them. It's just saying, hey, we have beliefs about work-life balance. We have beliefs about what we're going to tell pet owners uh, about, you know, about how our people are compensated, about, you know, whatever. Um, this is just our business model. We're we're getting started as practice owners, and we 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 know that we can pay this salary. We can put it into our budget. It's you know it's it makes sense for us. We're sure. gonna we're gonna do it. Um, I think that there's just a lot of reasons to not pay pro sale. So I just again not wrong to want to be paid that way, but there are some good arguments against that. Yeah, um, I I agree with you. Do you have? anything because we kind of i mean we talked about pro cell but from the headspace perspective is there anything else headspace wise uh that you that you can think of um before yeah. we jump into action steps yeah so, uh, last things i'm gonna throw in for headspace is empathy for the bosses that are starting out so in this in this request is like hey we've got these these doctors and they're getting this new practice up and going and i, I would try to have some empathy for the other side and say Boy, when you're starting a new practice, you don't know what you're getting into. You don't know if pet owners are going to show up or not. You right. know, you've got these uh, these hopes. I'll tell you as a business owner, boy, I've had plenty of times where I thought, boy, this is really going to grow. And it did not grow. Right. And, you know, or it grew, but it took five times longer than I thought it was going to take. Sure. And you just, you just don't know. And so I, I think having some empathy for the other side when they're like, we don't exactly know what th where things are going to be a year from now. And so we kind of... We're trying to couch this. When when this person says, um, they say I can have unlimited vacation. To me, that's often a strategy where someone says, I don't know how much cash I'm going to have. Like, I just don't know sure. how much cash I'm going to yeah, have. Yeah. But vacation is valuable and we will figure out how to let you be off because, because we know we can do that. Right? You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I think having some empathy for them, I think is important. This all goes back to how much time off should a, should a veterinarian take? There's not a right answer about what you should be. If they say, take this time off and, you, and you're and you gone for a, and you, you take a month off and and yeah, your salary is lower than your peers, but you got a month off. Right. If you're yes. happy about that, yes. then then go and rock out. And it's not wrong if you say, no, I really need to make more money than these people can pay us. It doesn't make you bad. Right. It doesn't make you bad. It's just, they can't pay you that. And it's not good or bad. I, I think it'd be important not get caught up in should of what I should make and say, is this working for me? Right. And is it working for them? You know, and yep. enjoy your, enjoy your time off. And, and like when I graduated from vet school, I had a classmate who went on to be wildly successful as a doctor, wildly successful. She took the lowest salary of any of my friends and she got six weeks off mm -hmm. a year mm -hmm. because she liked to travel. Right. And so she was like, no, she, she had the lowest salary of any of the vets that I knew. And she was off two, three times more right. than the rest of us. Right. And she turned out just fine, but right. that's what she wanted. Right. And so anyway, the last thing is, remember that first job concerns are common, right? You don't know yourself starting your first job. You don't yes. know what you're going to need. You don't know how you're going to want to work. Don't don't, don't beat yourself up and say, oh, this doesn't look right. Or I don't know. It just just know that you're, you don't, it's much easier to have these conversations after you practice for a while and you know what you care about and you know what your priorities are. And just, yes. you just don't, you don't have the experience usually starting your first job as a doctor to do that. So anyway, that's my headspace. I love it. 
Um, okay, I you started to you started to steer into some of my thoughts for action steps. So let's take a let's take a break here and then we'll come back and dive into okay, how do we answer the should questions that were asked? Let's do it. Hey friends, are you a veterinary practice owner? No? Well, are you a veterinary practice manager? If the answer to either of these questions is yes, I want you to keep listening. If it's not yes, you can take a quick pee break or get some water before we head back into the podcast because I've got something for my practice owners and my practice managers. We are hosting our first ever Practice Leaders Summit. And if you're not an owner or manager and you're still listening and you're thinking, but I'm a practice leader, don't worry. We've got you. We've got more events coming. But this first one is happening in December in Greenville, South Carolina. It will be decorated for the holidays. We are going to come together. Now, we're going to come together, but we're going to be separate. What are you talking about, Stephanie? Well, Andy and I have planned a whole bunch of new content with our team, and we are excited to bring managers together to talk to other managers and owners together to talk to other practice owners. And then we're going to put everybody together and we are going to get to work. That's right. We're going to work on our practices. Our ideal hope would be that manager and owner combos can come together, but we recognize that won't work for some practices. So we have plans to hook you up with other owners and managers if you're coming solo on either side. So don't worry, but don't delay. Head over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events because we want to see you there. And that means you have to sign up because this will sell out. Don't miss your chance to come work on your practice with your practice owner, with your practice manager. You can find out more information, including a letter that you can use to convince your boss if you are a practice manager or maybe practice owners, some reverse psychology to use on your manager to get them to come to Greenville with you. Again, it's all up at the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And now back to the podcast. All right. So uh, what do you want to do for action steps? Well, um, I think one of the action steps you already started to call out, which for me is a little bit of a headspace, but it's action in the sense that I think that this veterinarian and anyone who finds similarities between their situation and this veterinarian situation is that you have to sit down and look at yourself. Stop thinking about should. Mm -hmm. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Think about yourself. Are you... Are you happy or are you not happy? And if you're yep. not happy, why? Do you, are, ha, Have your circumstances changed? Do you need to make more money than you're actually making? What is that floor that you need to feel good about your job? And asking all of those questions on a personal level is very, very important because I don't think you can have a conversation with your bosses about what you need and advocate for yourself in any way until you have actually answered the questions of, what is it that you want? Are you are you truly looking at this because you feel like you should? And as you pointed out, Andy, earlier, like, stop looking at the shoulds. Look at yourself. And if you don't have a problem with it, then let it go and move on with your life, right? Or if you're looking at it and you're like, well, I asked for more money and they gave me more time off. Are you, are you okay with that? Does that sure. suit you? Does it suit your lifestyle? Like, stop looking at yourself compared to other people. And sit down and do the mental gymnastics of what do I actually want? And then there is also a step in between where I am now and what I want, which is what do I need? And figuring out for yourself where those three lines are. Where am I now? What do I need? And what do I want? And then 
I think only when you have done that work are you um, actually ready to think about how do I actually have this conversation with them? Yep. Yeah, I, I completely, I'm right there with you. Uh, remember, it's not about good or bad. They're not trying to rip you off. It does not sound at all like they're like right. anyone's trying to take advantage of anyone. Right. They're trying to do what they can do and they're trying to offer you what they can offer you. And you've got to figure out what what you need and and go back and and know that for everything you ask for, you're probably gonna have to give something else up. And it's about making it work for everybody. Yes. That's, that's what it is. Yes. All right. And so then, yeah, we're ready to have the conversation. And so, but first you have to know yourself and you have to put aside what you should have and figure out like what what do you what do you really need? What do you really want? Um and then go in and, and have a safe conversation. And we talk about this a lot, you know, so we, we talk about safe. Safe is, uh, S is, can you sit next to this person? Can you smile at them? Um, do not go in there when you're angry. Just right. do not. Right. You should just get into a healthy headspace. Or, or when you've had a long day or you're hangry, yes. like you've seen, been seeing patients and you skip lunch, like that's not the day to have this conversation. Exactly. Even if you have it scheduled, like yep. that's not the day to have the conversation. A is assume good intent, which means it's in your best interest to believe these people are doing their best. Right. They're trying to run a practice. They're trying to make you happy and also not overcommit and put themselves out of business in their mind, you know, right. things like that. Yeah. As assume that they're doing their best and they're trying. Uh, F, uh, have they been set up to fail? What here is your fault? And what I mean is it helps me to go in and say, what if I not told them? Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm upset about my salary, but I haven't told them that I'm upset about my salary. Right. Um, then, then that's on me. Right. If if I have something that's changing in my life that's going to require more money, um, and so that's weighing on me, but I haven't communicated to them that I'm feeling this financial pressure, sure. like I can't be mad at them for something I didn't tell them or that they don't know, you know? Right. So so what have they been set up to fail, meaning have have is there information they haven't had you know things mm -hmm. i haven't communicated mm -hmm. what's my fault is same thing uh and the last thing is e which is end result which is what do you want the end result to be and i think that that's part of knowing what your needs are going in and and uh and i would say the other part for end result is remember a lot of time the end result is not to get what we want a lot of times the end result is to inform them of where our head's at ask some good questions acquire some more information and continue the conversation forward. And so a lot of times it's not, I'm going in there, I'm gonna tell them what they need and they're gonna give it to me or there's gonna be consequences. That's that's a terrible way to go to this meeting. It's to go in, it's to communicate, it's to try to understand where they're coming from, to communicate what I need and then see if we can move this conversation forward. And I think the step for me that comes um, there along with SAFE that has to do with the prep work is that if you have not, um, if the end result is to understand, have both sides uh, be seen, right, and understand where they're coming from, and acknowledge the fact that they are not—they're not trying to, you know—they're not out to get you. They're not out to rip you off. Like they're taking care of you. From the business side, I think part of that prep work is you should know what your total compensation looks like because, as this associate mentioned in their email, they understand that the money, the salary, is only a piece of it. There are also the benefits, both financial fringe benefits, things like paid time off, um, things like healthcare benefits or that kind of thing that actually has a hard cost for the business. And there are the soft costs benefits, being able to truly have mentorship that you you feel supported and believed in by 
being able to have, um, you know, a high staff to doctor ratio. There's a lot of those things that often don't get factored in when someone is, um, my experience as a manager is that I have had countless conversations with team members from paraprofessional staff to, to my doctors where we have sat down and nothing but the salary has been factored into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so from a, from a prep perspective, it part of getting safe is to understand that as a business owner, I am absolutely going to look at the conversation from the big picture. And so as an employee, in terms of how, how have, you know, how have you, you said been set up to fail, but also maybe how have they been set up to fail? If you haven't done your homework and you haven't looked at what is your actual total compensation, um, don't, I, my suggestion would be don't have the conversation yet. Don't skip that step. Sit down and do it. Because the first thing that I'm going to do as a business owner, whether I do it with you or whether I do it when we're done with that first conversation is look at what is your total compensation and where does that percentage fall? Because that is an absolutely important, critical piece of the mathematical equation for whether I am um, breaking even with an employee or not. Yeah, I agree. I think you start this conversation with appreciation and stating your desire to maintain the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I just, that seems like a small thing. It's a huge thing. And people is open up the conversation, talking about your appreciation for them and the clinic that they're running and the culture that they've built. And I would go ahead and start by laying out all the things I love about being at this hospital. Being supported, having the mentorship, all of those things. Yep. Exactly. I would lay all those things down so that they feel seen and appreciated. There's nothing worse uh, as a as a business owner or a boss when you are doing all that you can for somebody and they walk in and they look at you and they say, my friends make more money than I do. Right. And it just discounts all of the things <laughs> you have tried to do for them because all they care about in, in, in that moment, it sounds like all they care about is the dollars sure. and it's so demoralizing and it makes you feel so unseen and so appreciated yeah or so unappreciated and so anyway so start with appreciation and 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 stay up front i want to i i want to be here i like this place i want i want to mm-hmm. be here mm-hmm. and that will just lower the stakes mm-hmm. a, a bit for mm-hmm. everybody because as a manager again when somebody comes and goes i need to make more money for whatever reason we catastrophize right away it's like oh she's saying she needs to make more money or she's going to leave yes Absolutely. I was going to say, even if you don't phrase it in any way, shape or form, like an ultimatum, when you start with the money and there is not the appreciation tie, it absolutely already in my head feels like an ultimatum, even even before more words have come out of your mouth. It's just like that's the like our little caveman brains like that's where it jumps to every time. (laughs) Yeah. And and so then after that, the next step for me is ask questions as opposed to I wouldn't even go in and say I need to make more money. I would go in and say, um, are you open to talking about salaries and sort of how the doctors here are compensated right. and, and, and why, and why you chose to pay salary to the doctors? Sure. Can, would you be open to talking about that? Sure. And ask questions. Why do they pay salary? Like why, why don't right. they do per salary? Right. Would they, would you be open to talking about production based compensation or right. a pro sale model? Yeah. I love do that. Do you, do you have concerns about that? And I'm sure that they, the thought has crossed their mind. Um, but again, it's, it's just, it's, it's seek first to understand and just asking those questions of 
why is this set up the way that it is? And they might say, look, I'm going to be honest with you. We we have startup costs and we tried to avoid taking loans early on and we are really strapped for cash. And so we this allows us to be safe and we try to give you guys a bunch of vacation to make up because we know that we can't pay what other people pay. Right. And this this is why we're doing it. And then at least you know right. what, what they're up against, yeah. you know, and, and what you're dealing with. You're just so much better off having this conversation that way. Yeah, because I think on the flip side too, like I have absolutely worked with practice owners where the conversation has been, I guess I just never considered it because I figured you would feel safer getting a salary and not yep. having to worry about whether you're going to make your check or not, right? Like it, it is not always in our heads. We frame ourselves for the negative argument. And I think, I think that you absolutely have to look at it that not, it is not, there is not always a negative argument. Sometimes it is that they made that choice because they thought it was what you wanted or because they yep. thought that it was what was going to be most supportive. And so you, just by asking the question, it opens the door for them to be like, yeah, let's talk about it because I never thought that that'd be something you'd be interested in. Oh, totally. What if, and I'm just spitballing, what if they were like, man, I, if when I was a vet, I wanted time off. Right. I wanted to be able to right. walk away from the practice. I really, like, we really care about burnout, so we're going to let you be away. Right. And if we give you a bunch of time off, but we pay you on production, you're not going to use the time off. And it totally undermines right. the whole central thing we're trying to do that we think you'll love. And, and again, I like I can I can see that being the sure. rationale, but like you gotta you just gotta ask the question. Um, you already mentioned it. Beware ultimatums. People do not like the old tomato, as we yes. used to say at my house. Yes. Um, yes. Do not give them the old tomato. Do not do not. Yes. Do, just, it, no one wants to feel stuck. Of you're um, we're we're having negotiation, and you're gonna make me happy or else. Like that's just bad juju. Just and again I. I hope that that's not the plan. Some people actually make plans to do that, which is terrible. So, uh, more often than not, we don't think about how we're presenting ourselves, and we end up giving the impression that we're do like you make me happy or I'm going to walk, and like that just makes everybody's cortisol shoot up. They get really intense. People do not like to feel threatened, and ultimatums can feel like threats. Just. Just don't, mm-hmm. just don't mm-hmm. frame his ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Ask questions, ask him what's possible. Remember that clear is kind. And I think Stephanie and I, between talking about looking at your total package, your total compensation, thinking about what you actually need, what you actually want, what's going to make you happy, and then communicating to them what, what you think you need, uh, ideally why you think you need that. Sure. That's just, that's just good business. Um, as an employer, I would much rather someone come to me and say, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm not getting what what I need to get. These are my financial realities. And I would love them to say that to me as opposed to not saying that to me and just take another job and be like, hey, I took another right. job because I'm not getting what I need here. I would feel stabbed in the back. I'd feel like you didn't give me an opportunity to try to figure out how to meet your needs. Um, like that, I I would much rather have the I would much rather know where your head's at in a non-accusatory way, yeah. than to be surprised. Yeah, because you can't help, and if you don't have the information, and I'm not talking about you need to spill your whole life story and the details of your bank account to your boss, but like if there is a place that you are at where you're like. I, I, I can't help know, I can't help you if I don't know what you need. And so you have to be able to communicate that. Is it you need, you know, uh, 
$1,000 more a month or is it $10,000 more a month? Like I need that kind of information to know what is feasible for me as a business, right? And I can't, I can just guess really because without that information, that's what I'm doing. It's just taking a shot in the dark and hoping that it works. Yeah. And the last thing for me is get creative. I think a lot of times, especially when we talk about money, we're like, all right, we're talking about money. Right. And the problem with money is money is a zero-sum game every time, which is the more you get, the less I have. One of us is getting money and the other one is it's giving not. up money. Yeah, yeah. And that there's no way around that. That's what money is. However, if you look at this conversation as a mutually beneficial problem-solving exercise, suddenly everything gets so much easier. Mm -hmm. Do you need money mm -hmm. or... Are there schedule flexibilities that you would like to have? You know, do we need to get over this guilt about taking time off and feel good? Um, are there, I don't, I don't know. Are there ways that, uh, that the practice could help you out? That's not bumping your sound up. Maybe not, right. but right. the more ways that we can approach this, the more tools that we can use to meet my needs and meet your needs, the more likely we are to succeed. If sure. there's only one tool and that's dollars, well, if I don't have the dollars to give to you, I don't know how we make this work. And that's that's sad. Oftentimes, it's not really just about straight dollars. A lot of times there's other things that we can do. We can get creative in how to get our needs met. But I've seen a lot of people shut all the doors except the money door, and then no resolution is met and, and everyone's unhappy and the whole thing falls apart. And so that's it. The last, last thing I would say is you signed a one-year commitment and that's it. That's all. You should not feel guilty about leaving if this doesn't work for you, you know? Um, and again, that, that's that's kind of how how I look at a lot of these things is when I when I do an agreement as a doctor um, or as an employer, we look at this and we say, all right, look, you're going to come here and this is going to pay you and we're going to see how it goes. And, you know, and honestly, your contract should have termination clauses in it, which says if we're if either side is unhappy, this is how we end this agreement. That stuff is all laid out that you can end that agreement. And my my advice is just be professional and be kind. And, and try not to take this personally. Sometimes relationships don't work out. And that's that's okay. As long as you've done the other things and you've communicated and you've tried to make it work. I, I see some people who were like, man, I took this job. I did it for a year. And then when my contract came up, I didn't renew and I feel terrible about it. And we have, honestly, one of our most popular episodes ever. It may be the single most popular Uncharted podcast episode ever is how to put in our notice without the guilt. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I think we, we had an episode on that. But anyway, yeah. that's that's my last thing is to say, sometimes these things don't work out. It's not a moral failing. You know, it's just, you know, it is it is what it is. It doesn't mean that they're villains because they couldn't keep you there. It right. doesn't mean that you're a jerk because your needs were not getting met after a year and you wanted to go try another type of practice. It's just, it is what it is. Oh, this was a fun one. <laughs> a lot here, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we had, we I think we had unpacked a, a quite a, quite a bit into that, um, especially like there was lots of gems, including uh, how old you are and that you have hit yeah. middle aged dad status. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. I can't wait to Rod. see the magic that Dustin does with that <laughs> with that gem when he Stewart. edits it. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna be highly disappointed if I don't hear some some Rod Stewart. I, in the I, I don't know. You can. I don't know. That we can sample Rod Stewart. Like I, I have no idea what's involved in that. 
Anyway. Take care, right. everybody. Have a fantastic Thanks, week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.